with you this morning. Please open them up to the book of Job. I will be reading verses 1 through 5 in Job chapter 1. And uh, we'll be reading from the King James Version. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And the man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance always, his substance always was serving, was, excuse me, his substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east and his sons went and feasted in their houses every one, every one his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the numbers of them all. And for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Well, it is good to be with you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here, and we would like for you to come back any opportunity uh, that you are able. We consider you to be an honored guest, and we're so thankful for your presence. This morning, let's turn our attention to what I believe is the most important thing any Christian can do, and that is maintaining our faith. And that's what I've titled the sermon this morning, Maintaining Our Faith. And for those who are not Christians, we know several people who are not Christians. That is the most important thing they need to do is put themselves in a position to be able to maintain their faith in God. Often when the things of this life become a little darker than what we would like for them to be, when things begin to bear down and and wear on our lives when our burdens begin to feel a little bit heavier than what we normally uh, feel, we need to maintain our faith. Because it's so easy to allow our faith to go by the wayside. And I believe one of the greatest examples that we can follow or that we can mimic in being able to maintain our faith is Job. Job was a wonderful man. He is one of the most fascinating people of the Old Testament of which we can study. He's one of the greatest studies in godly character and perseverance throughout the whole of the Bible. People know him for his patience. And the half-brother of Jesus declared this, James 5, verse 11. He said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and you have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and tender and of tender mercy. The thing that stuck out in my mind when I read that statement was James was confident that his readers recognized who Job was. He did not have to recite the account of Job. He just simply knew that all he had to do was mention his name and the readers would get the message. They would understand the point. But how was it that Job came to be known as a person of patience. And how was it that 
he was able to gain such a reputation? Well, I think if we go back to James chapter 1, we gain a little insight into why James would even mention Job and exactly why Job was who he was. Notice what he said, James 1, beginning with verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now this word worketh comes to us from a word that means to bring about or to produce. So if our faith is tried, patience is produced or patience is brought about. We also know that is endurance, don't we? Patience, endurance, perseverance. In Job's case and in our case, his patience was produced by the trying of his faith. And we have uh, 40 plus chapters in the book of Job that demonstrates exactly how he was tried. I don't believe that the trial of Job could have been much greater. I don't believe that he could endure any more than what he endured. In fact, the only thing God withheld from Job, Job 2 verse 6, was his very life. And there's no doubt in my mind that he stopped just short of murdering the great man Job. But of course, because his faith was great, his trial was great. Because his trial was great, his patience was great. And because his patience was great, his reputation was great. You recall after Satan stole Job's camels and his cattle, he scorched his sheep with fire, uh, he slaughtered his servants, he slew his children. Do you recall what Job did? Job didn't turn on God like Satan said he would. Job, in fact, he rose up, he tore his coat, he shaved his head, and he worshipped and he honored God. Job 1.20 Of course, Satan again, he said, Job will curse you. Verse 21 Even after the accuser afflicted him with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot when he used his wife to help persecute him as well, Job remained steadfast. He maintained his faith. What an example. Satan could take his cattle. He could take his camels. He could take his children. But he could not take his confidence in God. Satan could take his donkeys, but not his assurance. He could take his things, but not his trust in God. He could take the support of his friends, but he could not take the substance of his faith. Satan failed miserably when afflicting Job. Job passed every single test placed before him. I want us this morning to examine some of these trials. Hopefully we can learn some very wonderful lessons in how to maintain our own faiths as we walk in this life. These are lessons preserved for us by the Holy Spirit and and I want us to begin with the trial he endured at the hands of his friends. That's our first point. First, Job's friends attacked his purity, didn't they? They attacked his character. But Satan attacks our purity. And he does it a lot of the times in a similar fashion. He'll use our friends to attack our 
purity. Our supposed friends from time to time, and we've all had this in our lives, they have encouraged us to do things contrary to what God would like for us to do. Therefore, our purity could be attacked. The very first verse in the account of Job's life tells us some things. It says that he's upright, that he he turned away from evil. Have you ever wondered why that when Satan attacked Job that he did it the way in which he did it? I wonder why he didn't start with the lust of the eyes. You know, he did that to a lot of God's great men, David, Joseph, and we understand David failed that particular test, didn't he? I wonder why he didn't do that to Job. Well, I think that that he did do that to Job. I think that he had already tried that with Job. I think that he understood Job's character and that wasn't going to work and so he was going to go about a different way and I just don't think that's recorded for us. His description tells us, though, that he passed the purity test, didn't he? Before those other things happened in this life. He was righteous. He revered God. He resisted evil. He guarded his heart. He and, and he guarded it against all the other sins that Satan could tempt him with, the lust of the flesh. And later in the book, notice that he declared this, Job 31 verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I made a covenant with my eyes. Why would I look upon someone who's not my wife? I think Satan had attacked him in that way. That was kind of the test before the test, wasn't it? He continued, Job 3, 9 through 12. He said, If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another. And let others bow down over her, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. Job wanted to, or Satan wanted to attack Job where he felt like was his weakest point. That's what Satan does. We can look at what Satan did to Job. We can make that application. He is going to attack us where we are our weakest and we need to be aware of that, right? Satan will, will do that same thing to us, and we need to watch out for it. So we too must abstain. We have to abstain from fleshly lust. Peter said, 1 Peter 2 verse 11, which war against the soul. Job didn't, he wasn't bypassed with that. That simply wasn't the, the sin that so easily beset him, it doesn't appear. We must deny ungodliness and live soberly, Righteously, Paul told Titus, Titus 2 verse 12, and godly in this present world. That's a test we must pass, and and we have to pass these tests every day. We ought to make a covenant with our eyes to not look or lust after the things that we should not be looking, Matthew 5, 28. Job's purity was challenged by his friends. Wasn't it enough that All of these terrible things had happened to him and now his good friends, those who were supposed to have his best interest at heart, came and challenged his purity, but they didn't stop there. They continued the persecution. You know, persecution from any source is bad, especially when it comes from one's own household, Matthew 10, 36. Job suffered because of his best friend and his wife. She encouraged him to curse God and die, Job 2, verse 9. 
That must have been the most discouraging point in this whole unfolding of Satan persecuting Job. His helpmeet was in fact helping someone else, wasn't she? She was helping Satan. She was helping Satan, not, I don't believe for a second, consciously helping Satan to defeat her husband, but she was thinking in a worldly manner, why go through all of this suffering and persecution? Just curse God and die and get out of this physical pain. Do you think maybe that's why Satan didn't destroy her when he destroyed everything else Job had? Destroyed his children, all of his wealth, because he discovered her weakness and he used that against Job. He also lost the support of his other friends, right? They were convinced that God was punishing Job for sin in his life. Notice what they said. Eliphaz said that no man ever perished because he was innocent. Bad things don't happen to good people, according to Eliphaz. Well, that's not true. He believed Job was reaping what he had sown, Job 4, 7 through 8. Job, you're just getting what you deserve because you've lived an ungodly way. His other friend, Bildad, Bildad said, God does not pervert justice. And that's why God had cast away Job's children because they too were sinners, Job 8, 3 through 4. Not only, Job, are you a sinner and God's punishing you, but He wouldn't have killed your children if they hadn't been sinners. Another friend, Zophar, told Job God had actually exacted less from him than what he should have. Job 8, 3 through 4. You know, that's just absolutely backwards thinking, isn't it? Who killed Job's family? Who destroyed all of his wealth? That didn't come from God. This same book we spoke of a minute ago, James. James said only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. Satan did it. But what's Satan doing with his friends? Through Job's friends, he's saying, Well, God did this to you, Job. Why? To shake his faith. He wanted his friends to help cause him to fall. He wanted to discourage Job. He wanted Job to stop maintaining his faith. And see, then he had him. How do you hurt someone like God? You have to hurt his children because you can't hurt him. We understand that in the physical world, don't we? We can put up with a whole lot unless someone harms our children. And that's a whole other topic to discuss, isn't it? And that's what uh, Satan was doing. Despite being falsely accused by those who were closest to him, Job, he did not waver. He maintained his faith, and he still uses those same techniques today. We must endure. Paul declared, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, we're fortunate in this country. The persecution we experience in this life may be someone making fun of us, someone talking ugly to us, someone trying to deprive us of something in some way that is really on the surface very inconsequential. Not so in other nations. other nations you might lose your very life because you believe in God and and Satan will take advantage of that wherever the situation is. The Master encouraged this, Matthew 5, beginning verse 10. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you, 
falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now here are some key words. Falsely. Rejoice. You'll be blessed if you're persecuted and they say all manner of evil against you falsely for Christ's sake. It's it, There's no honor in, in punishment if it's deserved, right? But there is honor in persecution when it is false. We must never allow Satan's temptations. We have to make some kind of application. Job's dead. Job's gone. So what application can we make? Let's persevere. Let's do what Job did. It doesn't matter what the people around us say. It doesn't matter what family members say. Who wants to lose part of their family? Or who wants to be exiled from the family? Nobody. Nobody in their right mind wants that. But when it comes down to obeying God and living a righteous life, we have to take a firm stand. And we have to do it correctly. We have to do it in Christian love. And maybe, by the grace of God, we might influence those around us who disagree with God. But no one wants to be persecuted. But Job endured, and we must endure, Acts 20, 24. The attacks on Job by his friends proved useless. Satan was not finished. He had to change gears. He had to take another tactic, and he did. He attacked Job through his finances. That's our second point. Job was a very prosperous man. He was a very wealthy man. In fact, he was the wealthiest man in the East. Had a lot of money. God had blessed him. In fact, he had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. He had 500 yoke of oxen. He had 500 female donkeys. Also, he was rich with servants, Job 1.3. Now, we're not specifically told that his Riches were a test of his faith, but we know they were. You might think of riches as, again, kind of the test before the test. How did he handle all that wealth that God had given to him? After all, those who are wealthy have a temptation to be high-minded, to trust in uncertain riches than in the living God, 1 Timothy six seventeen. Those who are wealthy, and there's not a thing wrong with being wealthy, but those who are wealthy are tempted to deny God, Proverbs 30, 17 through 19. So there's no doubt about it that Satan left no stone unturned. Could he get to Job through his friends? No. Could he get to Job through his finances? I don't know. Let's see. There's no doubt in my mind that he watched Job closely. He understood how Job handled his money. We know he was well of uh, well aware of his substance and how it had increased, Job 1.10. But unlike most people, Job could handle being very wealthy. He didn't let his finances come between himself and God. He was very, very careful not to allow that to happen. If Satan was watching Job, rest assured, He's watching us. He wants to understand how we handle our wealth. How we handle our finances. He'll try to get us to fall in love with the world. He'll try to get us to love money. 1 John two fifteen through 17 He'll try to convince us that we can serve both 
God and mammon. We can live however we want to live in this world as long as we recognize that God is who He says He is. Matthew 6, 24. But like Job, we have to continue to place our trust in God. What do we do when our faith begins to get shaky? What do we do when life comes to bear upon us? We have to maintain our trust in God. We have to be aware of covetousness, realizing a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesses, Luke twelve fifteen. That's not what our lives consist of. Again, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. I love to see faithful Christians do well in business. I love for them to, to see them work hard and be blessed for that and to be very wealthy. I think we all would agree with that. But we have to maintain our faith. We have to put our finances where they ought to be, and that is way down the list from God, isn't it? That's what God expects. But Satan doesn't only use our prosperity to entice us to sin against God. He doesn't just use our prosperity to cause our faith to be shaken. He will also use poverty. You ever thought about that? The wise man warned the reader. King Solomon, Proverbs 37 through 9, he said, Two things I request, uh, I request of you, speaking to God, deprive me not before I die. He said, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 37 through 9. We recall the parable of the rich fool. Jesus said the, the man had, uh, from all accounts, there's no indication he was a dishonest businessman, but he was very fortunate in his business. He had multiple barns. They were full of, of grain. He had done well. He looked out over what he had, and he said, I'm going to tear down those barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and so I can hold my increase better. He said, then I'm going to sit back, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And what did Jesus say? The Lord said, thou fool, your soul will be required from you this night. You know, most can't handle being prosperous. Most can't handle living in poverty. Job handled both of those. He was both prosperous and poor. And all the while, he maintained his faith. Satan took away almost everything Job possessed, but he still worshipped God. Here's the problem with poverty. And I don't think there's any of us here today that can't look back, any of us that have any age at all on us, can't look back at a time when we wish we could have had a few more dollars. And here's the issue with that. How many people who wish they had a few more dollars, and they may be very... Uh, correct in understanding that they're, they're not where they would like to be financially. We're talking about Christians here. And then it comes on Sunday morning and we're taking the Lord's Supper and, and we're praying and we're preaching and we're singing and then the, the plate is passed. And those who feel like they're not where they need to be financially might just pass it on down the aisle. You know, Jesus spoke of that 
Poor widow. She gave two mites. That's less than a penny in our money. And he says she gave more than all those other people who gave out of their abundance. Someone can give a dollar and give more than someone who gives $500. But when we find ourselves in poverty and we can't handle it, we become greedy. We won't give God what He has coming. He's not looking for a number. He's looking for what's left over. That's why we have to purpose in our hearts to give as we've been blessed. He certainly uses poverty. The only time Satan didn't take everything that Job had is when he had to have a servant alive to carry the bad news to him. He allowed that individual to live. Job 1, 5 through 7 and 19. After Satan took away his servants and his wealth, he took away his sons and his daughters, all ten of his children, in one day, at one time, took all of them away. It appeared that he spared Job's wife and his friends just to torment him more. What did Job do? Maintained. Not only was he living in poverty financially, he was living in poverty of poor health. Had sores, open sores all over his body. Couldn't find a comfortable position. Job 2, 7, from the top of his head to the, to the sole of his foot, he had these open sore, these boils, and he would scrape them. And it talks about scraping the worms. You know where that came from? An open sore will invite flies. What do flies do? They lay eggs. And that produces worms. And so the itch was so bad he took a pot shirt and he scraped his skin trying to find some relief. But guess what? There's no relief in that. There's no relief in that. Satan will attack us. Now he's not going to attack us in the same way. He's not going to touch us physically. That can't happen anymore. But he will use financial setbacks. He will use our supposed good friends to help help us to lose our faith. Or, you know, He might just simply encourage us to be selfish. He's very wise in what He does. When Satan's attacks on Job through his friends and his faith failed him, he still wasn't finished. Peter described him, 1 Peter 5.8, as a roaring lion seeking those who he might devour. A lion doesn't stop hunting. Because the very time the lion stops hunting, the lion will die. He's very patient. He perseveres. He endures. The weather can get bad. They can run out of water. Food gets scarce. But he never stops trying to find something to eat. He's always looking for prey. And Satan is the same way. Failed with his friends. Failed with Job's finances. So he he began to attack his faith. Job was perplexed. He was confused. He didn't understand why the things that were happening were happening. There are going to be times in our lives when it just doesn't make sense. Why do we lose people? Why do we lose things? I've lived so faithful. I've done all that I think I can do and all of a sudden I lose my husband or my wife. All of a sudden I lose my job. 
And you know what happens when you lose your job? You might lose your house. You might lose your car. You might not be able to feed your children like you'd like to. You might not be able to clothe your children like you'd like to. And then what happens? You know what most people do? They blame God. God took it away. Have you ever heard someone say, God called him home. God called her home. God has a greater purpose. A young mother dies in a car crash. God had a greater purpose. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't cause people to die in car accidents. God doesn't cause people to die because of health problems. God doesn't take our finances away. He doesn't take our children away. He doesn't take our homes away, our cars away. Satan does every bit of that, but he will attack our faith just like he attacked Job's because Job was confused. Why? He didn't know, but he still worshipped God. Though he didn't understand it, Job thought God was doing it. Notice what he said, Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He was going to trust in God either way. He was confused. He didn't understand. Reminds me of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You recall them standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and that great golden image Daniel three sixteen through 18, and they were told, when you hear the sounds of the instruments, you bow down and you worship this image. Three young Hebrew boys standing up against the great king of Babylon. You fall down or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And he heated it seven times hotter than normal. It was so hot that the guards who threw those boys in died from the heat. But notice what they said. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Meaning we're not full of care. We're not worried. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Like Job, they were going to serve the Most High God. It did not matter. There was nothing Satan could take from him to shake his faith. But he attacked his faith. He attacked his faith. He was perplexed. He was confused. He didn't understand. But that didn't work. But there was another angle he was looking at. Satan doesn't stop. What about when Job, because of his faith, found himself in a place of power? The final test Job faced was to see if he could handle that power. Many people cannot handle power. They can't handle authority. John wrote about a person like that, Third John 9. Through ten, His name was Diotrephes, and he said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, 
and casteth them out of the church. When we read about the qualifications of an elder, Paul told Timothy, don't get a novice, someone who has no experience, lest they be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil, 1 Timothy 3, 6. But just like all these other tests, Job passed this test too. Let's understand what we mean by the power that he received. Have you ever been wronged by someone in this life? Someone ever said anything about you that wasn't true? Accused you of something that you hadn't done? And then you got the upper hand? Then you found yourself in a position to really bring some destruction on them? What Job did. Job had been accused, he had been abused, he had been mistreated. These, quote, great friends of his had accused him of everything that they could lay their mind to. And here in the end, Job was vindicated in the presence of his friends. And you know what God told them? You go to Job. You ask Job to pray for you, to offer a sacrifice for you, Job 42, uh, 7 through 8. You asked him to ask me to forgive you. What did Job do? Pass the test. Job didn't say, Oh, oh, fellas, you remember you said this, 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 and this, and this, and the list goes on and on. You're about to receive something that you really have coming. Now, wouldn't it have been something? Pass the test with his friends. Pass the test with his faith. Passed most of, or with his finances, passed most of the test with his faith, and then you come up to the end and you want to get the last blow because you got your feelings hurt. And Job was right. Job was innocent. But that's not what he did. Because at that point he had the power, didn't he? If he hadn't offered that sacrifice, if he hadn't prayed for those men, they would have been in big trouble. But so would have Job. If we're going to be forgiven, we must forgive. Today, Job tries to cause us to lose our faith by attacking us through friends, finances. He'll try to crumble our faith. He wants us to go to hell and be with Him eternally. He wants us to be unforgiving. But that was the final test for Job, wasn't it? In this account... Job continued to live. God blessed him because of his great faith. He received everything double. Ten more children, double all the assets that he had, all the animals that he had. Job truly was the richest man in the east in more ways than one. And Satan has each of us in his sights. Here's what our prayer is, and here's what we want our prayer to be. When we are tried in the fire of temptation. May we come forward, just like Job did, as gold, Job 23.10, always maintaining our faith. The Lord's calling today. He calls us every day, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. He wants us to answer the gospel call because that's how He calls us, right? Through our gospel. If we've never obeyed the gospel, He wants us to do that through faith, John 8. Verse 24, believing that Jesus is who He said He was, repenting of all past sins, Acts 17, 30 and 31, 
looking to the day when Christ will return, confessing that He is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, leading us up to salvation and finally being baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, to come up out of that water to walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3 and 4, living faithfully and enduring till the end, Matthew 10, 22. If we do that, sometimes we allow our friends to shake our faith. We allow our finances to get in between us and God. We allow our faith to, to fall apart on us. And those are just some examples that can happen to us. Other things happen. But God's made a plan for that as well. The second law of pardon invites anyone who's fallen from grace, who sinned against God, to repent of those sins, confess their sins to God publicly if necessary. But we'll pray with you and for you if you find yourself in that position. If you have a need to answer this invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.